Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. All right, we're in Acts chapter 2. Congratulations, we made it past the first chapter. Aren't you glad? There's 28 chapters in the book of Acts, so buckle up. We're going to go through all 27 of the rest of them right now. No, we're going to do Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the first few verses of Acts chapter 2, and this is an amazing piece of Scripture. Um, We are, uh, chronologically, we are after the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The disciples, after Jesus has risen from the dead, have now spent about 40 days with the risen Jesus Christ. He's been teaching them and pouring into their lives he, was, uh, he had meals with them, and he's centering his teaching on the kingdom of God. They've been given instructions, and the instructions were pretty simple, but they were frustrating perhaps. They are even a little uh, mundane. The instruction was this, wait, just wait. How many of you understand there's times in our life where Jesus simply asks us to Wait. There's a lot going ahead of us. There's a lot in front of us. And in time, all of those things will come to fruition. But for now, Jesus is asking those disciples to simply wait in Jerusalem. He's uh, now ascended. We looked at that last week. He's ascended into heaven, and they've returned to Jerusalem just as they were instructed. And by way of review, we've determined that the purpose of Acts, this book, is this. It tells us how God directs the expansion of his kingdom throughout the world, through a spirit-empowered church, despite internal obstacles and external opposition. In fact, every week we study the book of Acts, you can take a portion of this purpose and lay it on that Sunday and recognize that we're highlighting one portion of this purpose. Today we're going to focus in on that spirit-empowered church. This is the coming of the Holy Spirit. It in the grand scheme of uh, history, really, this is one of the most pivotal moments of the early church. The event we look at today and next week represents the beginning of what becomes this amazing uh, and the single most ethnically diverse religious movement in human history. It's the singular event that gave the early church its spark and its start. It's the day of Pentecost and it's the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now remember at the ascension, Jesus promised, he said that um, you would have to wait, you'd have to wait in Jerusalem, and the disciples would do that because they were waiting for the promise of the Father. And this was the promise, the promise was the coming of the Holy Spirit. So uh, we're in the beginning of Acts chapter 2, they're together in Jerusalem in the upper room, and here's the scene that unfolds. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost is a Jewish holiday. There were uh, three uh, pilgrimages that corresponded with three different holidays or a feast. And during this specific time of year, um, the entire uh, Jewish nation would converge on Jerusalem. And so Jerusalem, during uh, these uh, festivals, they would balloon in size about five times the normal population. It's as if, um, it's like during, um, it's like the third week of uh, December in Roseburg. It feels like the entire population of Douglas County is at Fred Meyer, right? There's like five times as many people as normal. 
There's five times as many cars that are driving around. There's five times as many people in line for coffee. There's five times, there's just, you know, there's just an explosion of population. Everyone converging on what, this is what's happening in Jerusalem. Now, the three feasts were this. There was the Passover that was in the springtime, and then uh, the, the Feast of the Tabernacles in the fall. In between those two was the Pentecost festival. It was also referred to as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of the Harvest, the Feast, uh, the Day of First Fruits. Uh, the word Pentecost uh, means 50 days. And so they would count seven days, or seven seven days period, I should say, seven weeks after Passover, and the next day would be Pentecost, the 50th day since Passover. And so since Passover and Pentecost were so close together, what happened in Jerusalem is many people would simply stay over from uh, Passover to the Pentecost feast. And so I want you to think about a bustling town of Jerusalem with nearly 100,000 people, some theologians and historians would estimate. And this is the scene. The disciples are in the upper room and they're waiting as they were instructed. Verse 2 says this, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, there's some words and phrases here that are very um, polarizing. We see phrases like tongues of fire. We see phrases like being filled with the Holy Spirit and um, speaking in tongues. We're going to unpack those elements of this passage next week when we do part two of the coming of the Holy Spirit. But today I want to rest on the coming part, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, next week, we'll unpack what happens after verse 4 and them speaking in tongues and all the nations that were represented and what happens next that sets the stage for Peter preaching this amazing message in Acts chapter 2. But for today, we're just going to rest on the coming of the Holy Spirit. How many of you have ever lost power at your home for an extended period, extended period of time, right? Fun times, right? Um, I grew up in Southern California, as many of you know. I was born in India, raised in Southern California. And so um, we didn't have snow, um, like on purpose. We just didn't. <laughs> there were portions you could drive to go to the snow. I remember like six or seven, eight years old, we went and uh, visited some cousins. And we went to Mount Baldy in Southern California, and there was snow. And I remember after that day thinking, nope, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Like, it was fun for a while for me, but it didn't last very long. And so um, I remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, the day after Christmas, I've lived in Oregon for 18 years, and I've never seen that much snow that close to Christmas, right? It was pretty amazing. And so on that Sunday, um, there was question on whether or not we were going to have our service because there was a lot of snow in a very little bit amount of time. And one of the funnier things is uh, we got to church that morning, and there was I think there was 20 people here that Sunday, and um, we live-streamed the service, and most of you watched from home, but uh, when we got here, there was, there was a handful of people in the lobby, and as we walked up, I think it was Rita or someone said, hey, we were talking, who drove this morning? And I just laughed out loud, because I'm not driving in that. 
Libby's from Ohio. She's driven in the snow all her life. Well, I say that. I don't know how many times. More than me, I'm sure. Uh, you guys remember a couple, I want to say it was three years ago, we had Snowmageddon. Snowpocalypse, right? Days and days of snow that led to roads being closed and really extreme temperatures. And I know for us, uh, we live on the west side of town and, and uh, we were out without power, I think for, I think it was two, maybe two months, it felt like two months. Um, I think it was two nights. By day three, we had some friends in green that didn't lose power and they, uh, they said we could stay with them, so we did. Um, but do you remember when you got the power back on after, after not having it for a while? You just go crazy, you go on turning on all the lights, um, you're ironing clothes that don't need to be ironed. You're turning on the microwave. There's nothing in it. We're just turning it on because we can, right? What I remember about that week was this. When we lost power, it affected every part of our life. We couldn't keep doing what we always did. We couldn't help but notice that the power was gone. It affected every part. There's a certain uh, silence when the power is gone. As we think through Acts chapter 2 today and as we study it next week, I want to pose this question. If the power of the Holy Spirit was shut up from your life completely, would anyone notice? If the power was shut off, would anyone notice? Or would it be just business as usual? One of the preachers from yesteryear, A.W. Tozer, said this, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. He further said this, if the Holy Spirit had withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. And so I pose this question to you, if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you notice the early church, we're going to see, were fully dependent on the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the goal for us is not just to study and go verse by verse through Acts as a, um, as a simply learning discipline. The goal is really to embrace what it looks like to have the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again, from Acts 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Your translations might even say a violent rushing wind. So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for wind is ruach. Everyone say ruach. That's the Hebrew word for wind. And in the New Testament, the word for wind is pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. Ruach and Numa, and embedded in these words is the idea of wind, uh, breath of air, the gale of a wind. It's the image that's used to help us understand the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. Wind's interesting because wind can't be contained. You can't go outside on a windy day and take a jar and, and, and put it up in the air and then put it in your hands really quick and put the lid on and say, I caught the wind. You can't contain it. You can't control it. You can't take the wind. You can only, when there's wind, you can only harness the wind that's already there. You think about sailboats and sail ships. What they do is they don't tell the wind, hey, wind, I'm going this way. 
If you could just blow us this way. No, they position their sails in such a way so that they catch what's already exist. Perhaps one of uh, the interesting things about wind, it's one of the things that is non-physical but also tangible in our world. You can't see it, but you can sense it. You can feel it, and you can see its effects. And the Holy Spirit works the same way. You cannot see the Holy Spirit, but you can sense You can see the effects of the Holy Spirit. And so may it be said of this church as we study and embrace the power of the Holy Spirit that uh, that the community and the world may say, man, I don't understand everything about the Holy Spirit, but it definitely, you can see its effect in that church. You can see that they're being led by the Holy Spirit. They're not trying to control it. They're not trying to catch it or contain it, but they are being led by the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit were to leave, would you even Notice Now, depending on your church background or how you grew up, you might have a different relationship with the Holy Spirit um, than you do now. Uh, you might have grown up in a church that simply ignored the Holy Spirit. Didn't talk about it because it was kind of mysterious. It's kind of spooky. You might have been a part of a church or a faith that, that highlighted the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit took center stage, and it was, uh, it was uh, uh, to the point that maybe it was distracting or chaotic, or maybe you were just part of a church that maybe acknowledge it but not fully understand it, and so speaking of the Holy Spirit can be uh, uncomfortable, but as we read and study the book of Acts, you'll see that it is vital to the narrative, to the historical birth of the church, that they embrace both the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 14. We'll be there in just a moment. John 14 is toward the end of Jesus' life, and he's preparing them for life after he's physically gone. He wants them to know that they won't be left behind alone. He wants them to know that there will be another person to come and comfort them. And so in John 14 and verse 16, it says this. Jesus is speaking, and he says this. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Look at verse 16 again, right at the beginning. He says this, I will, he will give you another. Everyone say that word, another. The word is significant when we uh, think about the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, that word another in the Greek Uh, You could use two different words to um, say the word another. The first Greek word is heteros, and heteros means uh, similar. So he could say, um, I'm giving you another uh, similar person. The other Greek word is the word allo, and allo means identical. And so he could have said, I'm going to give you an identical helper. And the word here used is that word alo. He's saying it's not just going to be similar. It's going to be identical. It's more than just similar. It's identical to me. He's exactly like me, Jesus says. So when we look at the person of the Holy Spirit, it's as if we're looking into the person of Jesus. And so uh, sometimes it's easier for us to uh, identify with Jesus because he was a person. He took on form of a human. And it's a little bit different with the Holy Spirit because we can't see the Holy Spirit. But again, we can sense him. We can see his effects. As I was studying for this, I came across a sermon preached at Southeast Christian Church. And 
The pastor there, Pastor Kyle Eidelman, said it this way. When we think of the Holy Spirit, we oftentimes think of the Holy Spirit as a what rather than a who. We think of the Holy Spirit as an it rather than a he. And we relate to the Holy Spirit as a force instead of a friend. Even as we refer to the Holy Spirit, we can uh, think of it as it instead of he. And yet when we look at Scripture, we see that Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit as a person. And so I want to share with you three ways that uh, we can understand the Holy Spirit as a person as we gain understanding to what's happening in Acts chapter 2. Number one is this, the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Uh, Acts chapter 5, we will get to, um, I don't know when we'll get to Acts 5, I'll be honest. Um, But in Acts chapter 5, there's a story of Ananias and Sapphira. We have two individuals that are members that are part of this church in Jerusalem, um, and they're followers of Jesus Christ. And uh, the pattern so far that had developed in the early church is when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you, you did everything together. You worshiped together. You took communion together. You prayed together. You studied scripture to the, together. But they also gave their resources together. Ananias and Sapphira had a piece of land, and they sold that piece of land. And when they sold it, they got a sum of money, and uh, they took a part of that for themselves, and they gave the rest of it to the church. And yet when they told the people about it, they told the church, we gave everything, all the profit. So if they made $100 or 100 shekels of whatever they're using to count, um, and they kept 8 or 9 or 10 shekels behind, They told, when they gave the 90% that was left, they told the other followers, hey, we gave everything. We made, this is how much we made, even though they kept back some of it. Acts chapter 5, the story unfolds this way. Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to whom? The Holy Spirit. And you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not sell, as you wished. After selling it, the money was also yours to give away. How could you do a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to whom? So in this narrative, there's an amazing thing that happens. First of all, the Holy Spirit and God are used interchangeably. In his discussion with Ananias and Sapphira, look at verse 3. He says this, you lied to the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 You weren't lying to us, but to, he uses the Holy Spirit and God interchangeably, reflecting the divine nature of the Holy Spirit. He also reveals that the personhood of the Holy Spirit is someone that you can lie to. So what happened here? What was going on in their hearts? What was happening with Ananias Ananias and Sapphira? Well, one of the ways we can lie to the Holy Spirit, you think, Daniel, I would never lie to the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit was here, I'd tell him the truth. First of all, he is here. And how many of you don't know there's different ways to lie to the Holy So one of the ways is this, when we pretend to be more spiritual than we are. When we pretend to be more spiritual than we are, the hypocrisy ends up becoming offensive to the Holy Spirit. So we come and we sing worship toward God. And we curse in anger the rest of the week. 
Yeah, this is lying to the Holy Spirit. We come and we gather and we take communion and we celebrate God's grace for us. And no sooner than we return back to our week or to our world, we harbor hurts and angers and bitterness in our heart, all the while refusing to extend grace to someone in our life. Uh, we say we're going to pray for someone and we have no intention of doing it. It's not that we forgot. We simply say, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to pray for them. You act like a loving, caring uh, spouse on Sundays when, or when people are watching, but you treat them uh, with indifference when it's just the two of you. Uh, this is lying to the Holy Spirit. Jim Elliott was a missionary uh, years ago, and when he was preaching on Ananias and Sapphira, he said the sin was declaring, I surrender all, while holding on to things they had no intention of surrendering. He further said, or made the observation, that perhaps the most telling way we pretend to be spiritual, more spiritual than we are, is by singing songs and truths we have no intention of living out. So this happens when the world and our perspective of how we view the Bible and the Holy Spirit, rather than allowing the Holy Spirit and Scripture to shape how we view the world. And all of a sudden, our values are out of whack, our uh, priorities are skewed, and so the things that are important to us end up influencing how we interact with others, how we behave, how we end up following Jesus. The Holy Spirit can be lied to, and we do this when we uh, pretend that we're more spiritual than, we're, than others, than, than we really are, I should say. Uh, so the Holy Spirit is a person. He can be lied to. Uh, secondly, the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He can be grieved. Look at Ephesians 4 and verse 30. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 says this, Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit, by the way you live. Don't bring sorrow to the Holy Spirit by the way you live. Um, have you noticed through the course of your life that the people that have the greatest capacity to hurt you are the people that love you the most? It's interesting because you can't offend a force or an it or a thing. You can only offend or grieve another person. And the Holy Spirit has feelings and emotions. And the more you love someone, the more you become vulnerable to them. In fact, the people that hurt us the most are typically the people in our lives we love the most. And so we are careful in those relations. We build walls in those relationships. We try to protect ourselves from uh, loving too much or too quickly oftentimes because we know it's easier to be hurt when you love deep. Yet when we hear that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, it really speaks to how much the Holy Spirit knows you, how much he loves you, and how much he cares for you. And when we sin against the Holy Spirit, it is it is not just us um, breaking a rule, it's us breaking a heart. As a child, I knew I screwed up if, I'm, uh, if I broke a rule, right? 
And we had rules in our home. We had rules uh, about how we were to behave in school, and we had rules on how we would behave in public. We had rules on when we had to be home, right? Um, you've seen that meme on Facebook that says this was, uh, this is how I knew I had to get home, and it's a picture of um, a street light that shined on because it got too dark, right? You had to be home by that time. We had different rules in our home, and I knew that if I broke a rule, I would, I would make my parents upset and, and angry, and so throughout my childhood, I would do my best like you do, hopefully, of just obeying the rules and making sure, right, I was the youngest of four, and something that happens when you're the youngest in a family is you've seen how your parents are uh, upset or disappointed in different various scenarios with the other children, and so you try to live your life in a way that just avoids those moments, right? I knew I screwed up if I broke a rule um, because they would be mad. I remember the older I got, I knew I screwed up if I made them disappointed, though. And that was a different thing altogether. When the older you get in your relationship with your parents and you knew that there were uh, values and priorities that they had tried to instill in your life, and when you went against those, it wasn't just that they got mad because a rule had been broken. It was they got disappointed because a relationship had been fractured. You didn't just break a rule anymore. You broke their heart. The Holy Spirit is, is similar here. When we understand the personal nature of the Holy Spirit, we'll see the difference between breaking a rule and breaking a heart. So the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. And so I want you to think about, boy, in my life, are there, are there ways where I'm lying to the Holy Spirit? I would never knowingly night of the Holy Spirit, but are there ways that I'm pretending to be more spiritual than I really am? Am I grieving the Holy Spirit? Am I bringing sorrow to the Holy Spirit because of the way I live? Are there places in my life where there are standards by which I know that, um, that God has placed for me and the Holy Spirit convicts me of and I knowingly break their heart? Are you lying or grieving the Holy Spirit? Third, this truth reveals to us that the Holy Spirit is a friend, uh, is a person. The Holy Spirit can be your friend. Can be your friend. John chapter 14, verse 16 says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Throughout Scripture, there's different titles that are associated with with who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is. And here in your scriptures, you will see the title uh, Comforter, uh, Helper here, uh, Counselor, Advocate. One of the words that you could use to uh, translate there in John 14, 16, this another helper, this title that's given, is simply the word another friend. And as Jesus was the disciples' friend, he was their uh, co um, uh, companion. He was with them and they lived and breathed and, and had meals with Jesus physically. Jesus is painting the picture that I'm going to leave, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to give you another. And he's not just similar to me, he's identical to me. He is me in the spirit form. This was crucial because up until that point, if you wanted to meet with Jesus, you had to go where Jesus was. 
or he had a hope that Jesus would come here. One of the stories that beautifully illustrates this is the story of Zacchaeus and Luke. Um, there's a phrase in the, in the narrative that simply said, Zacchaeus, wanting to see who Jesus was, climbed into a tree. Aren't you glad that you and I don't have to climb into a tree this morning? Right? So in the New Testament, when they wanted to see Jesus, when they wanted to be with Jesus, they had to physically take themselves and go and be with Jesus or simply hope that Jesus would come by their way. And they would go and they would hear him preach and they would uh, be with him. And oftentimes the way the New Testament paints the picture is crowds would follow him and Jesus would go away just to try to get a breath and try to get some rest. And the crowds would simply follow and go wherever he was just in case he got up and preached, just in case he began to heal people, just in case they couldn't miss what Jesus had in store for them. You had to be with Jesus physically. All of a sudden in John 14, there is something different that's coming. And so Jesus says, I'm going to go, but you're going to have another. And he's identical to me because he's going to be with you. He's going to be your helper, your comforter, your counselor, your helper. He's going to be your friend, but he will also be the Holy Spirit, meaning this. You and I can have him wherever we go. The phrase there is this, he will be with you forever this is the difference now jesus christ has ascended he is in heaven and he's left some instruction he says i need you to wait i need you to wait in jerusalem because the holy spirit is coming the bible records that 10 days later and i don't know what happened in those 10 days i don't know what it was like in heaven during those 10 days when the holy spirit is getting ready to come down upon these individuals. I don't know what those 10 days were like in the upper room, but I can tell you this. I know what it's like to wait. I know what it's like to wait for something. I know what it's like to wait for God and on God. How many of you are waiting on God for a prayer or for a direction or guidance in your life? I know what it's like to wait. And so for 10 days, they're waiting in the upper room. And for 10 days, they're simply just waiting. And they've been told there's going to be another. And no doubt, while they're waiting, they tell themselves or remind themselves, remember what Jesus said? Remember he said he was going to go. And he said that he would, he would give us someone else. He would give us this other identical person. Do you remember what he said? Um, and he said that he would be our comforter, our advocate. And they waited and they waited and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes. I wonder if we lost the power of the Holy Spirit in our life today, would we even notice? The whole book of Acts begins with this reality that they could not move forward but by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the alternative is this, we move in our own strength. We move without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so he gifts them the Holy Spirit. And yet if we're being honest today, I wonder how often we simply ignore or dismiss or discount or fail to recognize that the Holy Spirit is with us and his power is available to us. 
He's there and he's teaching them and he's teaching them about the kingdom of God. And no doubt they were thinking about, okay, what are the, well, what are the political ramifications of God coming and his kingdom coming? What are the social uh, dominoes that will fall once the kingdom of God started? And no doubt for 10 days they simply waited and they waited and they uh, imagined what it could be once the Holy Spirit's power was with them, once the presence of the Holy Spirit was with them and they waited. I'm wondering um, for us, what would it look like for us to simply wait in our lives till the Holy Spirit led us? The scriptures reveal to us that the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a um, it. He's not a what, but rather he is a friend. And this morning, I want us to recognize that you can grieve, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. And it's a holy, holy thing for us to recognize his place in our life. And so as we reflect and respond, a couple of places to do so this morning. What area of your life are you pretending to be more spiritual than you are? What's an area of your life that come to it if made if the Holy Spirit was here face to face and was to ask you about this portion of your life, you would have to confess that, yes, I've been pretending here. I've been lying to you, the Holy Spirit. You say, Daniel, that's an awfully personal thing. Well, we're in church. It's you and God. What area of your life are you pretending to be more spiritual than you are? What worship song comes on or what hymn do we sing and you simply start singing and you recognize, boy, I don't know if I would actually want to live out the words of this song we're singing. What ways are you pretending to be more spiritual than you are? What ways are you pretending to yield all of it to Jesus, but you're holding back for some of it? What ways are you uh, pretending to have the perfect relationship <clears throat> with your spouse, and yet you're harboring hurts and grieves, uh, grievings and, 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 and wounds in your life? I would say, secondly, are you grieving this Holy Spirit by the way you live are there inconsistencies in the way that you live? Uh, are there moments where you simply bring sorrow to God's spirit because of the way you live? And it's not just breaking the rule anymore. There's parts of our life, there's parts of our being that simply break the heart of the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly this morning, is the Holy Spirit your friend? We ask for Christ to be our Savior, and I think we're comfortable with him being our Savior. And, and sometimes it's hard to recognize him as Lord, where he's the master of our life, and he is uh, Lord over everything in our life. And yet this one probably is the most difficult and complicated to understand, that the Holy Spirit is your friend. One of our Bible studies this week, we were talking about how that for years and for, for generations, really the God of the Old Testament was this God of, of uh, judgment. He was a God of rules, and you've read the Old Testament, you remember the stories. If you obey God, there was blessing, and if you disobeyed God, there was curse. If you obey God, there was favor, and if you disobeyed God, there was judgment. And for generations and generations, the God was viewed this way, this black and white way, where if you obeyed, there was going to be judge or a blessing, but if you didn't, there would be judgment. 
And in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus is caring, he's loving, he's strong, he's gracious, he's kind, he makes room for others in his life and he meets people where they are and he's incredibly loving to people and we see in Jesus the heart of the Father. The Holy Spirit desires to be in our life. He desires to be our advocate, our comforter, our helper, our friend. And so this morning is the Holy Spirit you're saying, God is your Savior. You've asked Jesus in your heart, but do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? This week, I want us to pray this prayer every day. We'll post it on social media this way to remind you, or this week to remind you. It's there at the end of your notes. And it simply says this, Holy Spirit, I want to know you personally. I welcome you into my life. I want you to lead me. And I want you to be my closest friend. Let's bow so we can pray that together. Holy Spirit, we want to know you personally. We don't want you to just be a force in our life. We want to know you personally. God is our Savior. And Jesus Christ is our guide. But Holy Spirit, we want you to be our closest friend. So we want to know you personally. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our life. In fact, this week, Lord, would you help us make room for you in our life? Some of us are going to go to work. Some of us are going to have lunches and dinners with family and friends. Some of us are going to deal with heartache. Some of us are going to deal with discipline for our kids. Some of us are going to get some joys and some highlights and some victories. But in every moment, we welcome you into our life. That in the midst of every joy or victory or heartache or defeat, you are right there with us. We welcome you into our life. Holy Spirit, we want you to lead us. Boy, in our conversations and our behaviors with others, we want you to lead us. When it's appropriate for us to pray for someone, we want you to lead us and tell us when it's appropriate to reach out to someone that we're thinking of, that we care for, that we miss, we want you to lead us. The decision we have to make at work, we want you to lead us. The financial situation we're in right now, we want you to lead us. We want you to lead us. And then Holy Spirit, we want you to be our closest friend. Such an amazing gift you've given us, God, to gift us the Holy Spirit. We don't have Jesus in flesh and blood, and you knew that we would need a guide. We knew that, you would, that we would need a friend. We knew, you knew we needed the Holy Spirit. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on 
Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.